0: We're into chapter 2, and we're thinking about the different teaching that Paul is writing to Titus to encourage. And as Jane said, he's talking about different groups here. He's been dealing with older men and younger men, and uh, we were thinking about that last week. We're going to think about the whole subject of women uh, this week, because he says some specific things. He's left Titus in Crete, Paul's gone somewhere else, and he's writing to Titus now, and trying to encourage him to teach specific things to different groups. And we're thinking today about women. Now, this passage is one that just reading out loud uh, would provoke controversy, let alone preaching on it and teaching on it. Uh, Paul actually has the goal here to say to Titus, uh, tell the older women to teach the younger women to be busy at home and to be subject to their husbands. Uh, I mean, you just have to read that for the hackles to rise, don't you? It is, it is the complete opposite of our modern culture. Both of those issues, uh, women uh, preferring to be homemakers and women being submissive or subject to husbands. You, you know, there's a few rotten tomatoes going to come flying Now, never mind the things we talk about on the radio this week, this is another kind of thing that is hugely controversial. Last year, there was an Anglican curate called Mark Oden. Here's a picture of him. Uh, And he preached on marriage in his church in Kent, and his sermon caused a media uproar. The Daily Mail and the Times both ran headlines. Uh, This guy, Mark Oden, is happily married, he has three kids, and one blog said this, Mark Oden preached a controversial sermon to his congregation in south-east England. He titled his message, Marriage and Women, and this included a plea for the wives in his congregation to submit to their husbands. In the aftermath, some irate wives, along with their disgruntled husbands, vowed never to attend the church again. One female attender said she was disgusted by the message, adding, how can they talk that way in the 21st century? Another quipped, what kind of medieval sermon was that? (laughs) Pastor Odin responded, I am passionate about helping people to have healthy marriages. I did not set out to unnecessarily offend people, but I stand by what God has said in his word the Bible. That pastor's passion to cultivate healthy messages, marriages messages, marriages, coupled with the courage to present the truth is regrettably rare in many churches of our day but the response of his audience isn't. The Daily Telegraph ran a spoof article which began with these words Should you like a glimpse of what life was like in the Middle Ages you could do worse than visit St Nicholas's Church in Sevenoaks. There may not be bear baiting or cockfighting, and thankfully the Black Death is no more. But the attitudes, particularly in regard to women, well, they are positively medieval. That's what a commentator Gaelic Dalgas said. Let me give you some uh, other examples of how emotive this issue can be. I-, I don't condone everything this guy says, but I came across this on an American American newspaper article. That was discussed, it wasn't a Christian site, but it was discussing the whole article of of whether women who have children should go out to work. And people could post comments on it afterwards. And one guy posted this, I'm not saying I agree with all of what this guy says, but I'm just demonstrating what an emotive issue this is. One guy said this Personally, I wish my wife would never have started working. She now competes with me, she doesn't do the things she used to do, like cook for my boys and I. No cleaning or cooking or anything good, like cakes, as a wife should. I was brought up with a father who provided for his family. The wife and the mother was the homemaker, and that's the way it should be today. Families would be much happier together. And by the way, wives stray and are just as unfaithful as a man, maybe worse, dressing up for other women at work. If they have artistic talents to contribute, then that's just great. Otherwise, keep the women at home where they are needed. Bigger house means bigger bills. Do you want to know what the reaction was to that? <laughs> to have to you, The very first reaction to that was, I simply cannot believe that in today's day and age that anyone would write what you wrote. I am aghast. Moreover, I can't believe that any woman would possibly stay married to a person with such wildly sexist and insecure views. Wives are not property to be kept at home like a slave. And by the way, looking good at work is not a sin. The next response said it sounds pretty clear that what you miss is having a maid. (coughs) Maybe your wife has grown as a person. You might support that and admire it instead of making it all about you. Maybe you could learn to bake cakes. Your wife will make cakes when she wants to. As a matter of fact America is built on that principle. I'm not quite sure whether America really is built on that principle. I think what she means is the principle of your wife will do what she wants, when she wants, irregardless of what you think. Now I'm not condoning everything the guy said. I suspect it was when he said women should be kept at home that it got under people's skin. Our culture reacts very strongly, doesn't it, to any sense of being made to do something. Isn't that true? You can't make me. It's restrictive, stifling, and I think our modern culture views life as a kind of breaking free from all that. Life is about doing what you want to do, and anyone who tells you otherwise is medieval. Well, I use those examples really just to introduce the whole subject, and to remind you that this is an emotive and a controversial subject for both men and and women. But it is a crucial one isn't it? We, we, are faith, we were talking last week. I won't go over all the stats again. Our families are breaking down. Our society. Is becoming increasingly. Broken. And when a man stands up. And teaches what the bible teaches. About these issues. He's shut down as if. That's medieval. But our culture isn't happy. And the, the massive push for kind of self assertiveness isn't really working. Well, what is poor teaching here? Are these cultural phenomena or are they timeless truths that apply in all ages? How should we as Christian people respond to this? What will it mean for our attitudes and our practical decisions? Is poor teaching that women shouldn't work and stay at home? Does Paul mean that wives should just be mouse like and defer to their husbands in all things and never say anything to contradict? Well, they're big questions, aren't they? So hold all that in mind as we um, think about this, uh, this big subject. First of all, I just want to say uh, that Paul has a big focus here on the family. And uh, we've seen that as we've been going through Titus already. Remember, his main aim is... To establish churches on this little island of Crete and elsewhere that are effective churches. Churches that believe in God and love Jesus and seek to live out that faith in the way they live. Churches that are not full of hypocrites, but people who mean what they say. People who are not narrow-minded, but big-hearted And he's wanting to establish churches like that. The culture was massively disorientated. The church was dysfunctional. And so Paul says to Titus, I'm leaving you in Crete so that you can establish churches that work. And in chapter 1, Titus spends some time speaking about strong leadership. If a a church is going to be a good church, it needs leaders who believe the Bible to start with, doesn't it? Not leaders who don't believe the Bible. So in chapter 1, he talks about leadership, character, the ability to teach and communicate God's truth in chapter 2 he gets into relationships and he's talking about men and women and family in chapter 1 you'll see the connection there in verse 11 he's talking about false teachers and he says these false teachers must be silenced why? because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach their influence is subtle and insidious and what they teach is not liberating families to be strong, but he's actually breaking families up. And then when he gets into chapter 2, as we'll see, he, he's got some specific things to say to men and women. So his focus is on the family. His premise is, if you look at chapter 2 and verse 1, he, he says to Titus, you must teach what is in accordance with sound doctrine. What he's saying there is, you must preach the gospel You must tell people about Jesus and his death and resurrection. You need to encourage people to come into a relationship with God that's real and vibrant. But that reality should lead to a different kind of lifestyle. The Christian gospel is like a field that healthy lifestyle will grow out of. There's a connection. If you're a Christian, it should make a difference to the way you live. And it should be wholesome and healthy. And Paul is passionately saying to Titus, these people who are Christians in Crete, tell them to live lives that reflect what they believe. Why? So that society will be healthy. So that the church will be healthy. And so that no one will be able to malign the word of God. Family is really important. For these people, perhaps there was a huge gap between what they said they believed and how they lived. And Paul said that gap's got to close. You, you must live in a way that reflects your faith. You can't separate these things. Well, I, I was wondering, I, I've been reading so much this week. One of the dangers in this subject is it's knowing how to distill it to be brief. But I, I, want, I want to just sum up the Bible's teaching about men and women. And then we're going to think a little bit about feminism and then we're going to get down to these verses this, this is what the Bible says and we could sum it up this way God is the creator of this world and of the human race he created men and women to complement one another and we must never ever forget that men and women are equal in God's sight men are not superior to women women are not inferior to men They're equal. There's great dignity in that. Created in the image of God, men and women are equal. Did I say that again? I think you've got it. (laughs) But the Bible teaches that men and women have differences in their roles and their primary focus in life. The reason I state it like that is because When people hear that men and women have different roles, what they hear is inequality. Oh, you must mean that men are better than women. I don't mean that. Men and women are equal, but they have different roles that complement one another. That is God's created order for the human race. Men should not be cowards or chauvinists, they should step up to the plate and be responsible. For themselves, their wives, their children. They shouldn't hide in the shadows. Men are born to take responsibility and to lead like a good servant hearted leader should. Not to lord it over or bully or dominate women or anyone else for that matter, but to serve them in love. One of the biggest issues I think in our modern culture is that men are absent, men hide. Like cowards. Men are called to lead. That doesn't mean they're better than women. That is God's created order. And women have a primary focus too. In Genesis, God God said to Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone. He needs a helper to complement him and to help him. And the feminine qualities that women bring to society as a whole to homes in particular, to families as wives and mothers, are part of God's design for those differences in, in the sexes. And we're going to get into the practicalities of all that work. out as we go through these verses. So there's a big family focus here and there's some biblical principles. What about the whole subject of feminism then? I, I've, I've been reading some stuff this week and I've, I've got to say it's made my hair curl and um, I I, I think this comes into the church and I think men and women are very confused about their roles in life And and it's even worse when a pastor preaches sort of vicar preaches from verses in the Bible and gets shot down in flames as being medieval as if he's kind of living in the dark ages when what he's trying to do is be healthy Just looking on Wikipedia this week, I counted over 30 different types of feminism. I won't read them all. But the feminist movement, particularly in the last 30 or 40 years, has confused our society in the West more than any other movement. And I just want to show uh, some some elements of this just so we can realise it. I think some brands of feminism are really a fight for equality of status. I've no issue with that. And I don't think the Bible has any issue with that. When, when there's um, injustice. And women are mistreated. Or considered to be inferior to man, We should fight against that on the basis of the Bible. Women aren't inferior to men. And there's some brands of feminism that will fight for that equality of status. I think for some women. Uh, feminism. Uh, can be a reaction to oppression and the idea is that men are brutal, controlling it's in men's interest to perpetuate this myth that men should lead and women should submit you shouldn't trust a man because they're all only in it for themselves and uh, feminism can on one level be a reaction against that perceived oppression I don't think all men are brutal and controlling and I think it's very sad if, uh, if women are, are brutalised or controlled or dominated or bullied by men, that's an awful situation. And we should react against that. So I think those first two things we should react against. Um, but it's not fair to say that all men are brutal. I think thirdly, there's an issue here with individual choice. I think this is the thing that gets people's got more than anything else no one can tell me what to do it's my life and i live it how I like so get lost (laughs) and stop telling me how to live my life that is a cultural phenomenon but when you overlay the kind of feminist movement since the early 70s I I think underneath that there is something in here about no one can tell me what to do, I'm not submitted to anyone and that is not just kind of a feminist thing, that is a cultural thing I think men think that as well and it's certainly true that the feminist movement has a very strong element in it of what did, what's the Bible on about and it says uh, be subject to your husband you are joking do you know my husband? <laughs> I'm not going to submit to him over my dead body no one's going to tell me what to do it's my life I think where we start to get in, into kind of more aggressive radical feminism there is a there is a struggle not just for equality of status but for equality of roles well that's a different thing isn't it listen to one quote from a feminist writer women should be allowed to do the same things that men do there is no significant difference between the sexes these things are not genetic but cultural and we must resist the idea that women have gender based roles and men have gender based roles these distinctions ought to be eliminated altogether. I was reading one book and in the preface the woman said that the feminist movement will not know equality and liberty until when a child is born no one asks what sex it is. You know, and we do, don't we? say a boy or a girl. When that difference is completely eliminated and it's just a baby, and it doesn't really matter whether it's a boy or a girl, then, according to this feminist writer, we'll know that we've achieved real equality. Is that where we want to get to? And I think, even worse than that, there are radical feminists who are radically concerned to dismantle the social structure of our country. One feminist leader is a lady called Sheila, Sheila Cronin. Listen to this quote. Since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. Shall so I read that again? Since marriage constitutes slavery for women, It is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. That's scary talk, that. Can you see why I've drawn a line that's kind of slightly going down there? I didn't mean to put it on at the start. There are some arguments that are very reasonable and plausible, but as you kind of go along that spectrum, it becomes increasingly anti-man, and it becomes increasingly the case that the, the, the agenda behind radical feminism is to undo our social structures and to eliminate them altogether, To do away with the family. And it's very serious. There's loads more I would love to say on that. But um, let's park that. Maybe we'll talk about that offline. There's, there's a lot of relation between this subject and what we're talking about on the radio on Tuesday. The, the whole kind of dismantling, people are the same, there's no differences, let's kind of make everything the same, and uh, the, the marriage and civil partnerships and all that kind of stuff, and society is becoming increasingly fragmented. That is a downward spiral, not a healthy situation. And when Christians teach the Bible, shouted down as being medieval... I wonder where we'll be in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years as a culture on that basis this is really important it's important for Crete this could have been written yesterday even though it's 2000 years old Okay, let's get into Titus chapter 2 then very very quickly Um, what we saw last week with the man was the power of a good example it's really interesting that Paul begins with older people it's a relative term I think he's talking about people who are in their late 50s, maybe 60s. And what he says there is, teach the older men to be good examples. There's no chance of younger people having any hope of living a healthy life if their role models are not there. That's where he starts. And more than that, from a Christian perspective, how can we expect our teenagers and young people to believe the gospel if we don't? There's a real sense that he begins with the older people because he wants them to realize the power of a good role model, an example. So he says, teach the older men to live like this and likewise teach the older women to live like this. So very quickly, he says three things about older women. He says first of all that they should live lives that are reverent. um, Dignified there's a weight of dignity and respect there that word reverent in the Greek has got the idea behind it of working in a temple and in this culture there were lots of temples and people would work in a temple clearly if you work in a temple you don't turn up to work in your jeans and a t-shirt like I did on Radio Sheffield on Tuesday if you're working in a temple you would dress appropriately wouldn't you, you, know, you there's an appropriateness and the, the idea behind this word reverend is that, you older women, there is a way to live that is appropriate, dignified, solid and weighty. Be reverent in the way you live. May your life reflect something of value and respect. Secondly, he says, these older women shouldn't be slanderers. And we've talked about this before. If the besetting sin of men is violence with their fists, I think the besetting sin of women is not violence with their fists, but violence with their tongues, isn't it? Women can be cutting, can't they? With their tongues, not so much with their fists. Some women like to fight with their fists, but generally. I, I I wonder whether these older women, part of the issue here is that they have so much time. They like to kind of wander about and have a coffee and go from house to house, and they like to have a little gossip and talk. And what happens? They're denigrating other people and bullying themselves up, and there's a slander there. Paul says to Timothy uh, earlier on, you don't need to change it. Let me just read a uh, verse here. He says... Um, 1 Timothy 5.13, if you take your notes. He says, These women get into habit of going from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to do. Slandering. Uh, Just let me talk about the the Greek word for slander. Some of you have heard this before. Do you know what the Greek word for slandering is? It's the word diabolus, And in the Bible... That is a name for the devil. Diabolus. And the word means, uh, ballast is a ball, and uh, it, 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 it means, it, re- it really means to throw something through something. So if, if you imagine, I don't know, two, two things, and you were throwing a ball through, you're splitting the two things in, 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 and throwing it right through the middle. Uh, Slander is exactly that, isn't it? Slander never ever brings things together. It always seeks to divide and separate. That's the Greek word behind this. I said ballast not ball. The the word ballast is to throw. But it's got the idea of throwing a ball. And the the word die through. So slander is when you're seeking to divide. How often can women fall into trap Of saying things that would come between two other women, you know that idea of I'm just going to get this in, and I'm I'm just going to get my wedge, and I'm going to whack it. And that's the idea behind the idea of slander. I I hear it on the school playground. We we can sometimes sadly hear it in church. You older women, be reverent in the way you live, and don't be a gossip, a slander. Use your words to build people up, not drive them apart. If someone tells you something that's derogatory about someone else, you say to them, do you know what, I don't want to hear that. And I'm certainly not going to repeat it. That's damaging and unhealthy. So pack it in. Don't dwell on it and have a coffee over it and encourage one another about how bad everyone else is and how good you are. That's, it's kind of a besetting thing, isn't it? Here's another one. He says, I don't know whether this was a problem in Crete particularly. You older women, don't be... Irreverent. Don't be slanderous. Don't be addicted to much wine. What was going on with these older women? I don't know. In Crete. It's right practical to the point isn't it? I don't think we can just restrict this just to wine. But the whole subject of addiction generally. Are you addicted to shopping? I've done my bit. I've brought my kids up. I deserve a bit of rest and indulgence. I, I, I do know a few older women who are secret drinkers. Teach the older women, Titus. These are people who are professing to love Jesus. Teach them to be reverent, not to gossip, and not to be addicted. Why? Because it's their job to be good role models. He says they need to be able to Teach. How on earth are you going to teach if you're slagging everyone off? Be living like a busybody and having a secret tipple? <laughs> you're never going to be a good role model to younger women if that's how you live. It's practical, isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul doesn't tell Titus to teach the younger women, but he tells him to teach the older women to teach the younger women. Did you notice that? He doesn't want the men to lord it over the women in that sense. And he's not expecting all the grannies to run seminars. He's saying this should be happening informally every day. You older women do you get alongside the younger women? Are you sharing the benefit of your experience? Are you teaching the younger women to be godly? And this idea as well, you know, we have all these big debates, don't we? About whether women should be preachers. And uh, some women, they're feminists within the church and what they say is, it's a scandal that you don't allow women to preach because that implies that you think women are not as good as men. No, it doesn't. Men and women are equal but they have different jobs. And Paul says here, these women should be able to teach. He doesn't think they're thick. He doesn't think they're intellectually inferior or deficient. Actually, when you look at these qualifications here, reverence, reverence, um, Not addicted to wine, teaching what is good, not being slanderous. They're almost exactly the same qualifications for an elder in chapter 1 whose job it is to lead the whole church. He doesn't think these women are pathetic. He thinks they're fantastic. And what he wants them to do is to perform their God-given feminine role of being good role models. Not to usurp the authority that God has given to man. But that doesn't mean they've got to sit at home folding their arms and just think, well, I'll the pots and I'm never going to say anything. Paul doesn't say that at all. These women are important. They are pillars in the church. What about younger women? Very quickly. Let's have a look at younger women. Teach the younger women the seven separate things in this list. Teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home to be kind and to be subject to husbands. Why? So that no one will malign the word of God I want to to split them into three pairs and then the last one so let me say this the first thing is be friendly so this is, oh by the way when it says old women and young women I don't think when it says young women it just means like, you know, 20 year olds. I think he's talking about women who are in childbearing age and older women who are past childbearing age. So, the younger women is anyone up to, I don't know, if you've still got children at home, he's talking to you. So, I don't just think this is for teenagers or people in their 20s. But this is what he says to these younger women who are mothers and wives. First of all, be friendly. Why do I say friendly? Well, he says, love you love their husbands and children. The Greek word for love, there's, there's four different Greek words for love. And the word he uses here is the word filio, Which is a word that really is talking about friendship and affection. And it's interesting that he picks that word. Teach the younger women to see their relationship with their husband... As a friendship. Those of you who are married, and I know this is talk about family stuff and all there are many people who are single, but those of you here are married, is that how you view your husband? Is he your friend? Or is he your enemy? Do you think that way? Love your husband. Are you affectionate to him? This is not just emotion or romance, it's beyond that. This is a choice. Not grumbling, complaining, or nagging. Do you thank God for him? Do you think, how can I best meet his needs? You might say to me, "You don't know my husband." Obviously, well, actually, we're a small church. I do know most of the husbands. I wish some of them were here. Are you a friend to your husband? Do you remember that musical fiddler on the roof? Do you, do you know that? Jane was reminded me during the week we were talking about this, and there's a there's a ta- there's a section in that where they have a little song, and the man says, Do you love me? Do you know that song? Are you familiar with it? Do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out. Go inside and go and lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know, but do you love me? Do I love you? For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned, the ho- cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? The first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other, and now I'm asking, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know, but do you love me? Do I love him? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you love me? I suppose I do. (laughs) Are you a friend to your husband? What about children? I've got five. Are you a friend to your children? It's not easy, is it, sometimes? We see them as difficult. What are, what are some of the things in our culture? Two quick things. One, one thing in our culture is that children, we've got to remember this as parents, children are not got and one of the issues in many families is that children come along and it's like they're worshipped. Oh, it's children for children. Everything for the children. Children are really important, but they're not God. Don't worship them. When you do that, there'll be no discipline. You'll be too afraid to say something to upset them or hurt them. And they'll grow up with no sense of right or wrong. Some families also can fall into the trap of using children as status. Children are not a thing to be used, a gift from God. Are you a friend to your children? Very, very quickly, be friendly, be faithful. The next two, Paul says to Titus, tell the older women to tell the old. it's a bit convoluted, isn't it? Teach the older women to teach the younger women to be self-controlled and pure. He's talking here about sex, isn't he? He's talking about being a one-man woman. He's talking about being deliberate. Not putting yourself in a place where your faithfulness to your husband would be tested. Not dressing in a way that would be a problem to other men. Not filling your mind with trash from trashy magazines that talk about illicit romance and all that kind of thing and the grass being green on the other side. Cut it out. Self-controlled and pure. John, you know, there was... I hesitate even to talk about this there's an American policeman and he he was was involved in a great controversy recently in America because he gave gave a seminar it was a private thing, he wasn't doing it as a policeman and he said something along the lines that the incidence of rape in society would be a lot less if women didn't dress provocatively he, he used an unkind word And do you know women have latched onto that and all over the world there are what are known as slut walks. Listen to this from a website. This is a woman. Let's end this culture-firm victimisation. No means no, but rather than saying no, let's say yes. Yes to wearing what you want, going where you want, with who you want, being able to express your personal sexuality in whichever way you please. Yes to having a great time without being scared that every man you meet is going to assault you. Yes, to love, fun, and respect. <clears throat> if, if that's the attitude of young women, then I, I, I don't know where we're going. We can do what we want, where we want. It doesn't matter if it's provocative. That's us expressing our sexuality. Paul says, teach the young women to be self-controlled and pure. That isn't a gospel way to live. And here's uh, the last word: Be friendly, be faithful, be focused. Paul says here, teach the young women to be busy at home and kind. Oh, I feel like a man going to gallows. Well, we're in the question here, aren't we? Of whether women who have children should work or stay at home. Let, let me introduce this by playing a little radio clip for you. Um, on Tuesday, when I was on the radio... I was driving there and the interview before mine was about childcare and let, let me just play for you some of the, th- some of the people he found in, this is a little montage just to introduce the subject. biggest consultation of parents across Britain looking at how much childcare actually costs. Well, 70,000 families being asked how affordable or not it is to pay for someone else to look after their children. What do you think? Are childcare costs too high? Should the state do more to subsidise childcare costs? If you're full-time and both of you work, which most people have to, to afford to buy a house these days, you've got one of you going to work for nothing. My daughter's just gone to school, so it's made it a bit easier, but... Before Christmas, we were paying about 650 to 700 full time nursery for my daughter, after school club for my son. So it was about between 850 depending and 900 pounds a month on childcare. What's the point going to work? I mean, I were working a bit time I'd done with petrol for nothing. I think the government should pay for it. And because, I mean, they pay. They pay for everybody else that seems to be getting things for nothing. A lot of these women they go out for a second car, holidays abroad. Now what's more important than spending time with your children? The first five years of their life are the, are the most important, and I think that they need the mammies with them. You know, we've got a mortgage to pay, mm. but on the other hand, you know, I enjoy going to work, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. So I like having adult conversation and being something else. Like, that was my decision. What I resent is people judging me because I've made that decision. Why not just spend the first couple of years not working? Well, because it's all right that. If you do that, and then what happens when they do go to school and you haven't been working for three or four years, it doesn't look good, does it? I've seen them coming out of nurseries, six o'clock at night, dead tired, over the shoulders. And I thought, what can be worth that? My daughter's teacher has said that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're working or not, she can tell the parents that are supportive of their children and the parents that aren't. You know, I certainly get looked down on by people that are at home Mm -hmm. all the time. This little montage, it wasn't easy to listen to all that, was it? Some of the reasons that women give for going out to work when they've got families, financial necessity adult stimulation freedom of expression I want a better standard of living I feel like I'm well qualified I feel wasted at home maybe some women feel that being a homemaker is just boring this is very influenced by the feminist movement I think one American feminist uh, wrote an article called Get to Work she said, only by working can women can have a fully flourishing life. She, this woman, Linda Hirschman, encourages women to tell their male partners before getting married that they will not quit their jobs to raise children. She advises women to marry only men who will commit to a 50% housework child-rearing division of labour or else to engage in a reproductive strike and limit the number of children to one. And she counsels that young women marry only much older men or men who earn less than they do so that they can have more economic bargaining power. Linda Hirschman. Nowhere does the Bible forbid women to work outside the home. It isn't wrong for a woman to go to work. But I think what the Bible does teach is that the primary focus of a woman's care and effort should be her home. If a woman can do that and manage to work, there's no issue. But if, if going out to work compromises her primary focus as a homemaker, then there's something wrong. She's uniquely suited for it. And it is down to each couple, isn't it, to work out what that means in practice. My question is, why do we think that being a homemaker is boring? And why why are we encouraged to think that somehow it is second best? Being a homemaker, on one level, is the most stimulating job in the world. In terms of the skills required, and in terms of the influence it has. The shaping of a family and a home is the shaping of a community, a a town, a nation, even the world. One lady uh, said this, Homemaking, if pursued with energy, imagination and skills, has as much challenge and opportunity, success and failure, growth and expansion, perks and incentives as any corporation, plus something no other position offers, working for the people you love the most and want to please the most there is nothing second rate about being busy at home it is a fantastic privilege it is an amazing job and a huge and glorious and grand part of God's design it doesn't mean that women shouldn't work outside the home at all But I think we need to recover a sense of the glory of this. That somehow being a homemaker is a bad choice. One one of the worst things about our culture is the constant anxiety about whether we've made good choices. There's so much choice, we feel paralysed. What if I make a bad choice? What if I make a mistake? Maybe there's something better? We spend all our time looking over our shoulder wondering if there's something that we could have done better. I think what Paul's doing here is reclaiming the glory of the mundane you know we we were taught as a young couple and I'm talking about marriage and family here choose your love and love your choice and don't spend your whole life looking over your shoulder wondering whether you've made a mistake don't waste your best years wishing you were doing something else this is phenomenally important and I think one of Paul's aims here is to really recapture what the world thinks is mundane and fill it with meaning and joy and purpose. Do not allow the world to make you restless. One more thing to observe here. It's very significant that Paul puts being busy at home next to kindness. It is one thing to be busy at home, but it's another to be tender. And some women, there's a danger there, some women can be so focused on homemaking that they have no time for the people in the home. Are you just trying to be tidy? Or are you filling your home with sympathy and affection and tenderness and encouragement? Or is the whole thing just a big resentment and irritable pain to make a home and to be kind is a very very high calling can I um, just go back with you to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament just go back with me to the book of Proverbs in chapter 31 31 Proverbs 31 and verse 10. I'm going to read this uh, section. It's not massively long, but I think these words are so profound. And you you, you tell me as we read these verses whether this smacks against our modern culture. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable her lamp does not go out at night in her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to needy when it snows she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet she makes coverings for her bed she is clothed in fine linen and purple her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land she makes linen garments and saws them Supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but ye surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Does that teach that women are weak or worthless or insignificant? I think that's one of the profoundest sections in the whole Bible, isn't it? What a high calling. I praise God for a good wife. There's nothing better. You older women teach the younger women to be like this. Why? Why? so that society would be strong and so that the church's witness would be powerful when we live like this it isn't medieval it's powerful and it transforms homes, families, marriages, cultures well the very last thing this subject I wish I could have thought of a word beginning with F Oh, I would have been excellent but I just couldn't if you can think of one afterwards let me know be subject to the in, in the Greek the sense is be subject to your own husbands can I say again the Bible does not teach that all women are subject to all men this is talking about marriage not inferiority but respect and honour do you respect and honour your husbands those of your wives do you know where it begins it begins with submitting to God first if you have an attitude that says no one's going to tell me what to do that isn't a Christian attitude ultimately your king and your husband's king is the Lord and it's only in both of you submitting to him that this can work properly properly Are you subject to Jesus? Do you trust him and love him as your king? Well, I pray that it will be so. So that you'll be able to submit for the Lord's sake to your husband. So that the word of God may not be maligned. When families break down, it really affects culture. But when Christian families break down, how that dishonours the gospel it affects our whole witness to the world what we need to be showing to the world is that this works not that it doesn't work I, do you know, I, I don't want to draw attention to, to me in a way I have so many people who come to me they send me emails, they knock on my door and they say, you are teaching things that are wrong and unhealthy and I want to say to them look at my family is, is, is my home a happy home? how on earth is that medieval? I have a lovely wife, my children are respectful. Don't tell me that this doesn't work. It does work. When you build your life on God's principles, it does work. It is happy and healthy and joyful. I don't feel like my wife's a slave. She doesn't feel like she's a slave. She doesn't feel like I'm a bully. We love Jesus and want to save him together and bring our family up to do that. Does it work? Yes it does. When it doesn't, it scandalises the church and the gospel. This is, these are big subjects and I'm sure I've raised a whole load of questions. So, some preachers, you know, they have a system where while the preacher's preaching you can send a text. And then at the end of the sermon, someone pulls them off on the screen and they answer them. Maybe we should do that. You'd all be on your phones, wouldn't you? Sending me a text. What about this? What about that? I know there's lots and lots of complexity here. But let us remember and uphold and exhort the biblical ideal for men and women. This is part of God's created order. Let us us trust the Lord and and, and I pray that our marriages, our homes, our families would reflect something winsome. To the broken culture that we live within, to, the, to God's praise and to His glory. Oh man.